Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series on the letters of Paul to the church at Corinth. Today, looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 10, 11, and 12. And now, here's Dave. So good to see each and every one of you here, and thank you, music team, for that very encouraging ministry and song. Uh, as we think of weakness and strength and how it applies to the Christian, the topic title that I've given to this message uh, this morning is uh, "Don't Quit," and. Uh, the, the reason for that is, is quite straightforward. Um, if you're in the position that Paul was in, uh, we, 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 we can hardly imagine that position. Think for a moment. He's had training to be a Pharisee. It's been rigorous. This was no easy task to be the Pharisees. They were the best of the best. They were punctual. They didn't just show up at two minutes to the hour. They were there a half an hour early. They weren't just punctual. They were strict. They really counted the fact that they were going to tie the 10%. And if it meant going into their gardens and count how many spices they had and take 10%, they would do it. Because they took God's word seriously. And you know, there's a sense that that legalism has to be respected because they were taking God at his word. But it was part and parcel the wrong emphasis. Because the word of God is to drive us to our knees and to bring us to the call of the sinner that was in the temple. And there's that Pharisee saying, oh God, I'm so happy. I'm good. Oh, you're, you're really good to me. And, and there's that man, that tax collector, that despised despicable person who had turned his back on God. And he looks down and he says, oh, look at that guy. Look at that guy. And there's that guy. And he can't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he says, God, be merciful. I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. By the way, I don't know if you've been following The Chosen in, your, in, uh, in that series that's uh, on YouTube and on their own. Set. It's, uh, it's really, really amazing. But I believe that that tax collector was Matthew. And that was part and parcel of his under the tree experience. Under the fig tree was Nathaniel. And Jesus says to him, I saw you under the fig tree. And I believe when he told that story, tears would have been streaming down Matthew's face because he's going, that was me. That was me. I was that guy. God sees us right where we are. Why are you here this morning? Are you here to perform? Sometimes that's what church is about, isn't it? Unfortunately. Are you here to uh, impress? Are you here because you need God? Are you here because you want a word of encouragement because times are tough? There's all kinds of reasons people go to church, aren't there? I hope you're here to hear. To hear the Lord speak to your heart. This morning, let's just open once more in prayer. Lord, it's your word. It's your message. It's your son. To Jesus belongs the glory. 
He has promised if I be lifted up. Not the speaker, not the church, not the way of doing things, but Jesus. Lord, let us see Jesus. Let you come into this midst, into our place, into our homes, into our hearts even now. And we give you our thanks in his name. Amen. Paul's been writing a rather lengthy expose. He'd been struggling because Titus had brought in tidings, tidings about things not going well at the church of Corinth. There had been a group that had emerged from his first, after his first letter. And that group was really taking a very strong position about Paul. They basically said, listen, he's not an apostle. He's not an apostle. He's not one that's sent under the authority of God. He's not one that is, has the word of God that he's delivering to us. No, no, no. Simple truth. He's a fake and a fraud. He's fake news, the ultimate fake news, because he's got you all convinced that he's an apostle. And they were getting a pretty good hearing in that church. So much so that Paul has to defend his apostleship. He has to say, what is? When I went in there, you were worshiping stupid rock. Idols that can't see or hear or think. They can't even wink at you. And then you come to the living God, the rock that never perishes, the rock that we can say, I put my foot upon. And you came to Jesus, the rock that was rejected. You came to him. And now I brought you that news and you fell on your face and you said, woe is me. I'm undone. I need a savior. And you found Jesus. And here I am telling you now that you don't even trust what I'm telling you. You don't even respect my authority. You don't even acknowledge that I am your spiritual father. And, 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 and you, I, I brought you into this world through faith in Christ. It's not that I have special powers over you, but show me some respect. And this is what he's been saying for the first nine chapters, basically. And now he gets to chapter 10. Now, I have the wonderful assignment of doing three chapters in 20 minutes. So, just an aside, ain't going to happen. Okay, so just, you can breathe a little easier now. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Um, we're not going to take uh, uh, 45 minutes for each of the three chapters, and, you know, come, your roast will be nice and black by then. Um, no, we're going to look at it in slices. We'll call it the pizza, the pizza package. You know what happens when you get a bunch of pizzas together? You know, somebody likes Hawaiian, so you get a Hawaiian pizza. Somebody likes uh, all meat lovers. Somebody else likes just the cheese. It's like, give me the cheese. And, and you get all these different ones together, and you can't make up your mind. So you go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take one of this and one of that. And so we're going to try to do that this morning and look a little bit at five pieces of pizza. Now, the first piece I'm going to draw your attention to is in chapter one, uh, 10, verse, verses 1. I, Paul, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The first piece of pizza is the meekness of Christ and the gentleness of Christ. You see, he pleads. He doesn't come at them with this kind of, hey, boy, you know, I'm the boss around here. I'm the chief hog, and you better listen up. No, 
No, instead, he comes to them as a gentle servant. And he says, I'm pleading with you with the meekness of gentleness of Christ. Well, what is the meekness of Christ? Well, first of all, meekness is not Harvey Milk Toast. It's not a spineless, timid, unassertive, in, uh, easily dominated person who even is afraid to ask for a raise. No, no, that's not meekness. We have got the wrong idea. You know, when you see those pictures of Jesus and he looks so out of this world that you just go, huh? How could that be Jesus? The Bible pictures Jesus as what the word meekness is, is strength under control. Strength, power that can be controlled. A stallion that is broken is called a meek stallion. But boy, you better not get in the way with that stallion. That stallion could stop you cold with one kick of his hoof. Meekness under control. Jesus was totally meek. His lowly birth in a manger. His 30 years of obscurity. 30 years of just, like you think about it, he is God in flesh. And do you not expect him to want to be worshipped? Isaiah 6 describes his worship of the God that we serve. I saw the Lord holy lifted up and the train of his, of his robe filled the temple and, and the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy. This is what he left to come into this world. What have you left to serve Jesus? Anything? He left it all. He left his glory. He left and he came 30 years of obscurity. Submission to Joseph and Mary. Don't make a big, don't make too little a thing of that. He was the very God who kept their hearts beating. He holds the universe, that Colossians says, together by the word of his power. And he says, yes, yes, I will listen to what you say. Children who might be hearing this, if your parents are asking you to do something, it's because they love you and they care about you. And you as a parent, always, we always ought to be acting out of the basis of love. Paul's doing that right here. Jesus was a meek. He didn't come as a soldier or a conqueror. He came as a carpenter. Now, this really elevates a carpenter. It really does. And this makes his trade the highest profession to espouse to. Those of you who are considering trades and say, well, I might take a trade on because it might just work out for me. That is what Jesus chose. He could have chosen any trade to get involved with, but he chose working with wood. And would it know, would he know, not, not be really amazing that here he is hanging from a, a wooden cross later on. The gentleness of Christ. Suffer the little children, forbid them not to come unto me, Matthew 19, verse 14. And then, of course, he says he has compassion and tenderness. That was alluded to this morning at the Lord's Supper. The compassion of Jesus was the compassion that said the man who was in the temple saying, Be, have mercy, O Lord. He went down. His prayer was heard. And the other man just prayed to himself. The compassion and gentleness of Jesus. Woman, behold your son. I'm sorry, but when I'm in suffering pain, I don't think of others. 
I don't know about you, but when I'm going through tough times, the last thing I think about is putting somebody else first. But this is what we're called to do. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. He thought of others. And let this mind be in us as well. So to the meek. It's not to be weak. Simplicity, tenderness, and humility are marks of one who are truly great in Jesus. We are strongest when we are most like Christ. We shall be better, live better, worship better, work better if we possess the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The second piece of pizza is found at the lower portion of this section in chapter 10. And it's verses 3 to the to, to verses six for we though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled the tools of our warfare is the second piece of pizza and what is it? It is remembering that while we are soldiers of the cross, we don't go in and slash and burn. We build and bring love. And that is how we win battles. We sacrifice and pray and fast and love people into the kingdom. That's the way that we war. We don't demolish, it leads captive, but we bring every thought into captivity. Now, Paul might have been thinking when he was writing this, the word for strongholds used here is fortresses. And the opposition aroused by the factious and hostile partisans, he hoped to subdue them by a strong exercise of apostolic authority, cast them down, he said. But his weapons were not the way the world works. We want to see change. We like to be the bulldog. We like to be, some of us, uh, the, the one that just pulses things outside like a bulldozer will. But let us learn the way of God, the way of Christ. Gentleness is his way. The word for strongholds, it's rather interesting as well, may have been from the exact story of Paul and his life. About six years prior to Paul's existence, his island and where he was from had a series of pirates living in fortresses on that island. And those pirates, those str- they occupied the strongholds and the army had to go in and completely obliterate. And we can only do that, not physically, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That is how strongholds come down. And aside... I want to thank you all for your prayers Um, and for prayers for one another. Your prayers are effectual. Let me give you just a very classic example of that. We asked you to pray for my father, who was going to be traveling out west as an almost 91-year-old by himself with God. (laughs) Three different planes on the way out. You pray and you say, Lord, please take care of him. He arrives the day before the flood. Like 
Is that just coincidence I'm hearing? No. No, because so many times that is the way that the Lord takes care of his children when people pray. Now, just, no, don't get me wrong. Those people that are going through the floodwaters right now, our hearts go out to, to you and to those who are experiencing that. Because when you're experiencing difficult times, you go, whoa, I, don't tell me that this person got rescued. Tell me, how, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to call upon the Lord and, be, and he will answer you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And our prayer is that there will be a mighty revival that will come out of those floodwaters. And that those floodwaters will not only bring nutrients to the soil and refresh the land, but more importantly, the people that are there will hear of the mercy that endures forever. They will hear of the Lord Jesus and come before him with penitent hearts. Are you going through difficult floods right now? It may not be the physical flood, but it might be a financial flood. It might be an emotional flood. It might be a flood that goes well beyond anything I can describe. And I don't know about it, but you do. And you're saying, why has God not heard me? He has heard. He has heard. If you are a child of God, your, your message to God has been heard from the very moment you uttered it with sincerity to God. Now, I'm not talking about those uh, platitude prayers. I'm talking about the real gut-wrenching prayers. Your prayer is heard. And it says in Daniel, now Daniel's a godly man, but the angel comes to him and says after he's been praying for three weeks, he says, from the day you uttered that prayer, this, I, the messenger, was sent. But there's a stronghold around this area, and I had to fight to get through to give you the message. You see, we oftentimes forget there's a spiritual war going on around us. And I'm so glad we do because it's pretty hard to live in that kind of a context. But there is, and that is the one who says, from the moment, Daniel, you called on me, the message was responded to. God has heard your prayer and he's never late. He's always on time, but it's just not according to our timetables. The third piece of pizza is in chapter 11. And he speaks and he says, Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly. For I have betrothed you into one husband, and I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And I fear lest somehow the serpent, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. You just put up with it. And so the third piece of pizza is recognizing spiritual perception. Ever notice that sometimes when you listen to somebody speaking, you go, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. That's what the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16. That when he comes, he will teach you of things to come. He will guide you. And John, as he writes his first letter, says that you don't have need of teachers because you have the word and you have my Holy Spirit to teach you. And so it's important that we as individuals would be like the Bereans, that we would go to the word of God and take the word and see if it is so. In other words, check out the messages. Don't just accept them. 
There has never been a sermon given that is 100% truth except when uttered in the Scripture or by the Lord Jesus. And that includes all my messages and includes every brother that's been preaching here. Because there's always something that's out of sync with God's Word. And it's because we are vessels of clay, and as try as we might, we never get it completely right. But I'm so glad that he sweeps away the refuse, he sweeps away the error, and you get the message God wants you to hear because you can be taught by the Holy Spirit. So the third piece of pizza is that you are betrothed to Jesus. That's what he said to the Corinthians. You are like that virgin that is chased and has come into the room and there's your husband and there's two or three other men standing around and they come along and say, hey, wait a minute. Come with me. You don't have to go with him. Come with me. That's what the Corinthians were doing. They were listening to false teachers. False teachers abound today. There ever was a time there were false teachers. It's right now. There are teachers proclaiming that they are the Christ. There are teachers proclaiming that you have a right, not just uh, uh, to enjoy, but an inherent right as a Christian to be rich. That's a false doctrine. It's nowhere in Scripture. Your riches are in Jesus Not in your vault, not in your bank accounts. The banks will fail, the vaults will dry up, but Jesus is always our provider. And so the third is this pizza we call deception and spiritual perception. The fourth slice is the thorn spoken of that we were hearing about It was read from the message this morning. And thank you for reading it. uh, I love uh, the variations that it brings out. It uh, it really tends to bring out differing ideas that we wouldn't have heard otherwise. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, It's profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or, or whether out of the body I do not know. We're not entirely sure, this man that he was talking about, whether this took place when he was stoned on one of his missionary trips and was pronounced dead, or whether it was when he fell into a trance when he was in the temple in Jerusalem. We're not completely sure because he doesn't really completely clear that point up. But he does have this issue. He says that because he had been given such... um, great giftedness into insights about what God was going to do. Revelations, he calls them, things that were previously not clear. He says that God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. The word is actually an angel from Satan. That's the word we call messenger. To buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Do you consider your handicaps? That's an interesting wording for the, uh, the, the thorn. Do you consider your handicaps, your difficulties, a blessing? Not that we want to promote it, but there's a sense where a thorn in the flesh, a difficulty, can be turned into a blessing. And that's, I believe, what he's trying to say here. I pleaded with the Lord, and that's the fifth slice, his prayer. So the fourth slice was the thorn, and the fifth slice was his prayer about the thorn. And as he 
as he discusses it with the Lord, he takes his approach very, very clear. He took the mercy seat of God. Like Hezekiah of old, he spreads it out before the Lord. And affliction should not drive us away from God. It should drive us to God. And as we pray, we're not to complain. So he prays to the Lord Jesus. Did you catch that? Three things I pleaded with the Lord. Three times I asked that it would depart. He prays to the Lord Jesus. He prays with clarity. Some people want nothing. They ask nothing and they get nothing. Some are so polite in prayer, they, let, they, they dread lest they should disturb God. So they knock so lightly and daintily, it would require a microphone to make the sound audible. Others ring the doorbell and run away. The apostle stood at the gate till he was answered. Holy boldness is what the Lord wants we have boldness to enter the presence of God. Do we take advantage of that or do we play games with ourselves and with our friends? Are we really entering God's presence or are we simply being religious when we pray? And he prayed for this one thing that it might depart. He didn't go too far in asking for that. The Lord Jesus prayed in Gethsemane that this might pass away. So he sets the example and three times Jesus prays and three times Paul's prays. So there's the there's the pattern right there. And if three times God says no. Then remember, he always says, my grace is sufficient for you in that. No. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. The word is power. My strength is. It's the word for dunamis, the ability to do things, get things done, to blow holes up with dynamite. It is the power of God for the gospel. It's the dynamite of God. That's what Paul says in Romans, in Romans 1. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power, the dynamite of God. And this is the power that he gives us in the midst of our weaknesses. Most of us would say a spider is weak. Yet it was from the spider, the web design that the spider gives, gave the molecular structure from which Kevlar was designed. And Kevlar stops bullets. That little tiny spider, next time you see a web, thank God that God put within that very being the ability to do something that has saved lives. It's profound. And God always has those little hidden gems sitting out there. But they're little and they're often hidden. There's power in weakness. What about a worm? Is a worm really strong? Depends on how you use it. If you haven't seen this one, check it out. Blue Miracle. Power of a worm. <laughs> The power of a nail. The power of Christ. Psalm 22, 6. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of man and despised by the people. Little things. Max Lucado said it in his blessings, everyday blessings devotional. God never gives up. When Moses said, here I am, send Aaron. 
God didn't give up on him. When Peter worshipped him at supper and cursed him in the fire a few hours later, God didn't give up on him. So remember the next time when doubt walks into your life, remember the cross where in holy blood it is written the promise God would only give up his only beloved son so he would never give up on you. Jesus died for us. And that great Bible teacher, after he was invited to give his profoundest statement, they said to him, you've studied much. You have been profound in your, in your writings. Can you summarize in a few short words what is the most profound thing you have learned from God? And he said, oh, that was easy. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible, the Word of God, the Bible tells me so. You can trust the Word of God. You can trust the one who wrote the Word of God, the Lord Jesus. You can trust the one who died for your sin. And if you've never trusted in Him, why not today? Why not enjoy the greatest gift that was ever given to this world? And as you enjoy Him and sins forgiven, you'll be able to say, I can't give up now. Because I have one standing beside me who never leaves nor forsakes. We're going to call upon the music team and thank you for your kind attention and may you be blessed. And what a way to start the Christmas season, the Advent, by thinking of others. May these gifts win lives for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church Until next time. <laughs>